This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne's CBD. Today's big question, where can I find meaning? We ask this question today to Dale Stevenson. Dale is Senior Pastor of Crossway Baptist Church in Melbourne's East. He's been in church leadership for almost 30 years, but this is his first time as guest on Bigger Questions. Please welcome Dale Stevenson. Dale, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank, sounds, thank it almost you. sounds like you've got a bigger cheer than I did. Oh, there <laughs> you go. Sorry anyway, about that. that's okay, that's fine. So, Crossway is a large church. Um, yep. So, how many people would you have on a, attending on an average weekend? Uh, a normal weekend these days will be anywhere from 4,000 to 4,500 who are physically present, and yep. we'll get another 3,000 people uh, at church online. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, church pastors are traditionally uh, stood at the exit of a church yep. and shake the hands of everyone who's leaving. Now, that's a lot of hands for you to shake when people it leave. Is. There's enough hands to shake. I actually gave myself the RSI of the right elbow doing that. But I do. I I stand outside and I do shake hands and group people. I do that. And do you know everyone's name? No. Okay. Is that that realistic to know everyone's name in a church of (laughs) 4,000? No. But you know one or two, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd I'd know four or 500 names. Okay. and there's about an, uh, between eight and 9,000 active people at the church who roll through. Yeah, okay, very good. Well, anyway, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're asking Dale Stevenson about where I can find meaning. So, Dale, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about the meaning of life. Mm. Now, do you think that's uh, something that we can adequately test in a two-question multiple-choice quiz? Doubtful. <laughs> okay, well, there are two questions, both multiple-choice. Question one. What was the answer to the meaning of life according to Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Was it A, 41, B, 42, C, there is no meaning, or D, meaning is whatever you want it to be? I stretch my memory. I think it's 41. It's not. (laughs) But just so that we'll give you... We're here for the second chance. Maybe try one of the other numbers. All right. Um, 42. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Ironically, author Douglas Adams intended no real significance to the number. It was just a joke. Um, so do you subscribe any significance to the number 41 or 42? Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually was 41 once. Right. Yeah, it was a very significant year for me. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Question two. And we'll hopefully we'll get you to pass this time. Uh, which of the following is not one of the answers given by iPhone's Siri when you ask, what is the meaning of life? Is it A, I give up? B, I can't answer that. Ha ha. Is it C, all evidence to date suggests it's chocolate, or D, the answer to that question is found in the Bible? So which of these uh, does iPhone Siri not give you? I'm going to suggest that Siri would not be allowed to reference the Bible. And you would be actually correct. That's right. So well done, Dale. You actually did pass oh, thank our you. quiz. Congratulations. A big round of applause. You got one of our two bigger questions right. Smaller questions right. So, Dale, today we're talking about the search for meaning. And there was a time in your life when you thought, perhaps like Siri, that the Bible didn't contain any answers to life at all. But the quest for meaning was important for you as a teenager. Maybe can you tell us a bit about your early years? Yeah, sure. Um, So I grew up in a secular Australian family. Uh, My parents uh, didn't have any uh, point of connection, certainly in my growing up years, any point of connection to church. Yep. Uh, I now know that when they were younger, they did. But it was one of those things that just kind of fell off the radar. Yep. Uh, my parents uh, divorced when I was about nine years old, and mm-hmm. obviously that's a fairly tumultuous period for yep. any family when they go through that kind of challenge. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of set me on a track. My father moved into state and remarried, 
Um, my mother was running a, a TAB agency, betting agency, and which meant she got home late at night. Yep. And uh, so I what, had a lot of freedom. Yeah. So what did that mean? You had obviously a lot of freedom. What did you do? Mum was fantastic, and she was doing the best that she could at the time. Uh, Mum gave me a key to the door at the ripe old age of 10. She said, you're the man of the house now. You know the difference between right and wrong, so choose well, because yep. you'll have to face the consequences of your decisions. Mm -hmm. I was very active in sport. She made sure both my sister and I had part-time jobs to try and keep us busy a little bit. Uh, but she had a parenting philosophy, which meant we had a lot of freedom that our peers did not enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I can remember at the ripe old age of 14, taking a hold up to Northern Queensland, Great Keppel Island, Magnetic Island, yeah, 14 year old, with no parental supervision. <laughs> right, okay. I, I paid for it myself. Right. Uh, how, how did you finance it? Was you, uh, I, through my part-time work. Okay, right, yeah. yeah. And so you're working, some, working a job? Yeah, I was working a job after, after school. And uh, then at the, at the age of 15, I went to the United States on a student exchange program for 12 months. I got put into year 12. I was a very young year 11 student already in Melbourne, and I got put into year 12, so I was a 15-year-old senior yep. uh, in, in the United States. And that's where I, I got more exposed to a, a, a cultural Christianity, in mm -hmm. which I, I didn't have any faith. If anything, I had a, a pretty strong proclivity uh, both towards science and sport, yep. nothing towards religion or faith. Yep. And then when I saw the way that the, it kind of embedded itself where I was in Colorado, uh, it didn't do something good in my heart. It kind of did the opposite <laughs> yeah. and kind of threw me a little more onto an atheist track. So you would considered yourself an atheist at this point? Yeah, by the, well, I, I certainly grew into that. Uh, so by the time I was uh, 17, 18, going towards 19, I was a little bit more of an articulate atheist and, you know, f pertinent to your age. Yeah. And, uh, and I was anti-Christian, so I, I, I used the vocal skills that I was learning. I'd been doing public speaking since I was 15, and so I used some of those uh, spoken skills to uh, embarrass Christians. Right, and you succeeded? I did. Right. <laughs> um, but how, how are you feeling at this time, in, the, in your teenage years? Oh, look, by the time I was uh, 15, 16, I, was, I started writing uh, poetry about the purposelessness of life. And, that, and that's, that's it's a pretty profound thing for a 16-year-old to be doing. Yeah, I guess. I felt like I'd tried a lot of things. I did a lot of things a little young, yep. including kind of uh, things that you'd expect a teenager to do whose boundaries weren't well established. Right, OK. OK, and so I did all of them, yep. pretty much. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so I'd tried all sorts of different domains, and then I was left with that sense of, like, why am I actually here? Like, why, really, the profound questions. Like, what's my purpose? Yeah. And I, I was kind of looking down the track already, and it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, capturing yeah. my heart. So what were your poems like? Oh, average. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but what, what, you said they were exploring them in some ways, the purposeless of, not, of life. Yes. So what were, you, what were you saying? Oh, I, I actually couldn't. Uh, there was, I remember one of them, because I've lost them. I wrote sure. them in a book which got lost. Uh, but I, I did maybe, use... maybe to be discovered one day and you'll... You know, yeah, you know, <laughs> that would be awesome if I could rediscover them. And, uh, but I can remember a few lines of some of them, but I actually couldn't quote it on radio because of profanities. Okay. <laughs> so where were you looking for meaning then? Oh, look, at that, at that point in my life, I think I was looking for meaning through both uh, success. So I was, I was good at sport. I set a new uh, school record uh, for running the 800 metres. I was good at football. I sought it through relationships. I didn't have a problem uh, securing a girlfriend yep. uh, at the time. I pushed the boundaries on pleasure. I, I got drunk regularly through my teenage years and that kind of that socialising and, you know, that kind of party zone. Mm -hmm. So I kind of I pushed it in multiple domains 
and um, and I did fine academically. I, I for my year 12, I did physics, chemistry, biology, pure maths, and English. I got accepted to do a science degree at Melbourne Uni. Yeah. So I, I did I did fine academically. So I tried to push different domains, and uh, but I still came up with a rather void sense uh, on the, at the more profound level. So you thought that something was missing? Yes, I did, definitely. Yeah. And you didn't like Christians at the time. In fact, you made fun of them. Yes, I did. So what was it particularly that made you so angry about them? My perception was that Christians were weak. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought, especially the men or the guys, you know, I, I thought they were a bit wet. Um, I didn't feel like they were aggressive enough. I didn't think that they were rigorous enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my standard lines was... Um, you believe the Bible is the word of God, don't you? They would say yes. And I'd say, you base your life on it. It's like your authoritative text. They'd say yes. And then I'd say, how do you know some old man didn't sit down with a keg of beer one weekend and write that as a joke? And then their eyes, it was like it was a shock and awe. It was rude, a shock and awe strategy. And, uh, and they couldn't generally, could not answer a, a, a primary question about the authoritative text for their life. Yeah. And at the point they couldn't answer it, I would say to them, you're a joke. You base your life on something you don't even know whether it's legitimate historically. And so that was part of my kind of well-worn rhetoric. Yeah. So what changed? Having graduated out of the United States, I still, when I came back to Australia, I still had to complete year 11 and year 12 in Australia. They weren't going to recognise anything I did over there. And when I was doing year 12, a gentleman came to my school as a mature age student. He was 21. He decided to come back and, and do his um, HSCs, it was called back then. Yep. His name was Mike. And uh, he was just a solid, no-frills, well-grounded Christian man. And he became my friend. Right. And I asked him one Monday morning when I was just starting to get to know him, but I'd already decided that I liked him. I said, Mike, what would you do over the weekend? And, well, he spoke in rather glowing terms about the fact that he'd, you know, he mentioned church. He might have said something about, like, a youth or a young adult group or something. And he even said, he might have said the name of Jesus or, like, the Lord or something. But I remember as he was speaking, he wasn't trying to be a salesman. He was just being himself and saying what he'd done for the weekend. And my stomach turned over on the inside. (laughs) He thought nothing. Made a bad choice with his friend. Absolutely. (laughs) And I said to myself... My internal conversation was, I thought he was a nice guy, (laughs) but he's a religious nut. uh, So were you trying to run away then? No, I definitely didn't try and run away. So I tried kind of the shock and awe strategy on him and and said, don't give me any of that kind of rubbish. I said it a little bit more floridly than that. um, But he didn't take a backward step. He looked me in the face and he said, have you ever read the Bible? And I said, oh, of course not. I wouldn't read a blankety blank document like that. (laughs) And he shook his head rather knowingly. And then he was his one line. And he has since told me, he can't even remember saying this, but he, he put it to me. I'm going to quote him as best I can. He said, Dale, you're a smart guy and you wouldn't have a strong opinion about a political party that you knew nothing about or a culture or an individual that you knew nothing about. Then he looked at me and he said, why are you prepared to stake your eternal destiny on your opinion of Jesus and you don't even know anything about him? And then he looked at me and he said, why don't you read the Bible and then you'll know what you don't believe? And it was just the best one-liner because he never used these words, but my internal feeling of myself at that point was, I'm an ignorant bigot. Mm. He didn't say those words, but I thought it about myself. Mm. And so I said to him, okay, I will. Yeah. And I did have a Bible at home. <laughs> so what did you do? I went home. I dragged it out of the drawer. I'd been given it when I was in America by someone who was very well-meaning. And I stuck my thumbs in the middle and I peeled it open. And the very first book I read was a book called Ecclesiastes yeah. from the Old Testament. And it felt like the story of my life. Really? I did, yeah. yeah. Tell us what happened. It's written by a guy called Solomon. And um, he was a king. He was purported to be incredibly wise. 
back edge of his life, he actually wasn't that wise. He did a lot of stupid things. He ended up with 300 wives and 400 concubines, so he wasn't short on sex, but he, he did incredible building projects, so he was, he was successful, he was rich, he was influential, he was the king, he was the CEO of the CEOs. Yeah. So pretty much immeasurable wealth, whatever he wanted, he had it, and he was writing words like, Vanity of vanities or meaningless, meaningless. He said, it's all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. And I just could not believe I'm reading the Bible and it's talking about these great achievements in life, the sort of things that people pursue. <laughs> and he's saying, oh, it's all meaningless. Yeah. And I'm like, I just didn't think that was going to be the message of the Bible. <laughs> so it su- surprised me. It surprised you. It definitely surprised me. Yeah. So did you find the Bible difficult to read, though? Like, was it accessible? Uh, yeah, no, it was very accessible, actually. Uh, I was, it was surprisingly accessible. Uh, the second book I read was uh, Proverbs, because it was written by the same guy. I found that. And uh, I went back to Mike and said to him, uh, I've read Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Neither of them mentioned Jesus. And uh, he said, go a little to the right and uh, you'll find the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And, uh, and uh, so I embarked for 18 months in a committed fashion. I read the Bible. I started going to a group that Mike had at his home midweek and I'd, I'd even go to church with him on a Sunday night. And I was like a cat amongst the pigeons. Right. Yeah. And so what? And how did it? How did it resolve itself? How did the cat end up? I read books like C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and and a number of other books. And I could really relate when C.S. Lewis said, my heart cannot rejoice in that which my mind rejects as false. And he was a converted atheist himself, an Oxford Don. And uh, and I really related to that because I had to deal, I had like a hundred arguments against God. And I had to wrestle with those arguments, like simple things like, is the Bible historically reliable? Can, am I actually reading what they wrote or has it been like, you know, the whispers and the, the things all changed? And you know, how can there be a loving God and a loving and powerful God when there's so much suffering in the world and there's yeah. all these different religions? So one by one, I, in all honesty, I didn't find Christians very helpful mm-hmm. through that period. They were nice, but mm-hmm. they weren't helpful. Uh, but reading, reading books, reading the Bible, uh, doing a little bit of debating with people, and uh, I started to resolve some of the bigger questions, began to resolve inside my person. Mm. And the more that, upper, especially kind of that upper story, when I, for example, when I realized that the New Testament is the, by scientific method, the New Testament is the most historically reliable ancient manuscript that the world has. Mm. I'm like, okay, I am reading what they wrote. I know I'm confident about that. And I... Anyone who wants to pick up the New Testament, you are reading the most reliable manuscript that we have from ancient history. Whether you agree with its contents is up to the individual to wrestle with its contents, but you are reading what they wrote. Yeah. So and, in some ways had answers to some of those big questions. Yeah, once that started landing, then Jesus simultaneously was winning my heart. I was amazed by Jesus. He was not at all what I expected him to be like. Mm. And so I was quite magnetically attracted to him. I was dealing with philosophical and theological and scientific questions and, uh, and it kind of, I felt like I got painted into a corner by my own inquiry and I, <laughs> I, I ran out of excuses right. and I ran out of logic and I, I ran out and, and all of a sudden it was like for me, like the divine finger poked me in the chest and said, okay, Dale, you've been on this quest for a year and a half, all the evidence is taking you in one direction and what are you going to do about it? So like I would profoundly disagree with some of those who are aggressive towards the Christian faith, who describe faith as like that which is without fact, or <laughs> yeah. it's, it, you know, it's Belief all... that evidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but for me, it was, I had become convinced and therefore I trusted. Mm. And there, there, it was actually the body and the weight 
of, of evidence and content that won me. So I actually was a reluctant convert, mm. uh, but I thought I need, to, I need to take this step or I'm going to deny my quest. So I thought I could. I actually I swung wildly at that point, I have to say, because uh, I started to pray to a God I wasn't even sure that was there. I was thinking he was there. And because this idea, I'm known, I'm loved, and my life matters, yeah. and the potential of me being forgiven and having a fresh start because of Jesus, that was attractive. And to what you. he did on the cross, well, it was amazing. Like if it's true, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That I was so loved that God would say, "I'd rather die for you than live without you." So I'm going to self-sacrifice so you can get new life. Like that conceptually, that the God of the universe, who spoke everything to being, put it into order, would actually know my name and care about me enough to self-sacrifice, yeah. so I could be forgiven, I could get a fresh start. It blew my socks off. And so then I swing wildly between, it's true, he is there, he knows my name and my life matters. And then I'd swing wildly over to, I am losing my marbles. <laughs> like, am I going insane here? Why am yeah. I even entertaining this idea? This is crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and so I swung in that zone for a little while. Uh, but then ultimately, I could not deny the quest that I'd been on. I'd become convinced I needed to take the step. And so I very deliberately and consciously crossed the line. I said, Jesus, what you did, you did for me. I'm going to become one of your people. Please forgive me. I want a fresh start. And at that point, in fact, just prior to that point, I thought my life is set apart for this purpose. So I actually felt called to Christian ministry before I was a Christian. Okay, well. And I crossed the line with that sense of calling. Yeah, wow. Well, thank you very much for sharing your story there, Dale. Um, we're asking Dale Stevenson today's big question. Where can I find meaning? Uh, and perhaps surprisingly to many, even to Siri, the Bible is aware of this question. The profound Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, which we've already referred to, opens with the words, as we've said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now, when you read that, mm. uh, you said that that spoke to your life at that point? Absolutely did. Yeah, and in, in what ways? Like you thought you tried different, <clears throat> that, that's how you felt? There's some fairly basic drives in humanity that, uh, that trigger pe people. And uh, so the desire to acquire, yeah. So people will pursue the dollar, and uh, and like how, you know, how much money does it take to satisfy you? Just a little bit more. <laughs> That's right. You know? Yeah. And then people pursue influence or fame. They want to be known. How many followers have I, have I got? How many people can I influence? And how, how many? How much influence do I need to actually satisfy and and feel like something's resolved my heart? Well, it's always just a little bit more. Yeah. How much stuff do I need? How good a car can I drive? What sort of holidays can I take? What sort of house can I live in? And ultimately, that sense of it's, it's just not going to mm. satisfy the desires of my heart. Yeah. And when I can eat at whatever restaurant I want to eat at, I can live within, within whatever house I want to live in and drive whatever car I want. And there's still that haunting feeling deep in our hearts. There's got to be more than that. And that's exactly what Solomon's talking about. Yeah. And uh, when he says he chases into the different domains and just says it's like trying to chase the wind. It's mm. like grasping vapour. Mm. A question's come in from our text line from our live audience here. Um, did you read other holy books? Why is meaning only found in the Bible? Yeah, uh, I did choose to read uh, other books and I did choose to look at other religions at the time as well. Um, so the question is, why is meaning only found uh, in the Bible? It's worth us noting that there is truth. Uh, I'd make this simple statement. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth because he's a God of truth. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, with regards to Jesus quite specifically, uh, his resurrection from the dead as historically attested to was something uh, if a person wanted to get a movement started 
It's difficult to get a movement started by saying, I'm going to be killed and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Like it's just, it's, they're hard promises to fulfill, mm. let alone unless the Jewish can, prophecies. Unless, unless you can do it. Unless you can do it, exactly. <laughs> and let alone the Jewish prophecies, things that had been, the Jewish scriptures were completed scriptures by 400 BC, and yet so many specific references to the Messiah who'd be born in Bethlehem, he'd be of the, of the bloodline uh, of, uh, of Judah, he'd be, he'd be, he'd be uh, son of David in that sense, he'd be betrayed by a friend, he'd die with holes in his hands and his feet, he would be betrayed by... But for 30 pieces of silver, all of these things quite specifically wrote and written about, amazingly fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Statistically, it's ridiculously small. And if you covered, you know, the state of Victoria about a foot deep with uh, dollar coins, put a cross on one of them, stood it all up, blindfolded someone, said, walk as far as you want, you can pick up one coin. That's the likelihood of Jesus accidentally fulfilling about, all yeah, all well, not all of them, no, only about 10 right. of, of, of <laughs> a much broader base of, of prophecies. So mm. it, it, was, it was statistically impossible for Jesus to accidentally fulfill these mm. prophecies. That was, that's but one of yeah. kind of multiple layers on why I was convinced yeah. by him. Okay, terrific. Now Ecclesiastes goes on and a bit further, as you have referred to as well, it says in verse 12 of chapter one, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless a chasing after the wind. Mm. Now, this obviously resonated with your experience, but what do you think it means to chase after wind? I think what he's saying there, that so many of life's drivers that we mentioned earlier, if you think that you're going to find your substance in them, it's ethereal. It's like trying to grab mist and, and find substance in it. It's ultimately, when you get there, it's going to feel like, was this it? Is mm. this, I got to the top of the tree. Mm. And uh, whether, whether it's pleasure, whether it's possessions, you know, whatever it might be, I've hit the top of the tree. Is this it? Mm. And that can actually be a, a rather haunting experience. I think he's referring to that. Yeah, yeah. Now, you said you're a reluctant convert, mm. but are you glad you made the decision? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so that point in my life, it was back in 1982. I can even name the day. September 5th, 1982. And I know it's not like that for everybody, but it was like that for me because of my past, uh, the day I put my trust in Jesus, uh, the day where I allowed him to lay claim to my life, and the day where I had a fresh start, repositioned my life in every sense. Uh, Jesus used this language. He said, whoever believes in me, out of their inmost being will flow rivers of living water. And the Bible puts a little footnote saying he said that about the Holy Spirit. And there is an abundance uh, of life to be experienced where we can actually live life out in a way where we're not trying to put a bucket down an empty well and trying to drag out of the bottom of the dregs. It is actually possible to face each day with a sense I'm known, I'm loved and my life matters and I can make a difference mm. and that there is actually a God there who, who's behind all of that mm. who calls me forward. There's a, a beautiful verse in the Bible. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. One of the translations puts it this way. It says, you are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It just puts significance on every day. Mm. And so the sort of language I use these days uh, when I'm chatting with people, I say, you are ordained by God for your sphere of influence. So every domain is sacred. Mm. Every domain is sacred. Mm. So if a person's going in, they're being a, a chartered accountant, they're being a lawyer, they're being a nurse, they're being a teacher, they're a stay-at-home parent, it doesn't matter what it is, each day is filled with significance. Why? Because I'm God's masterpiece. 
I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for me to do. So there's, and the fact that I've still got a pulse, the fact that I'm still breathing, <laughs> he's still got the paintbrush in his hand. So he's not done with this masterpiece. We're, we're this far in, but there's still more to do. Mm. And when I've served God's purposes, I'll go home to be with him. Mm. So would you recommend someone read the book of Ecclesiastes? Yeah, absolutely. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is a stunning book to read. Uh, because he actually does still draw some conclusions while he, he chases so many domains. He asks lots of big questions. He asks heaps of big questions. But I remember when I read it for the first time, when he kept trying little things in there like, when all is said and done, here it is, he says, fear God and walk in his commands. He, may, he makes these rather pithy summary statements for a guy that had pushed the boundaries everywhere and then he'd come back to kind of some core issues which would integrate his faith. And uh, I'd definitely say to people, you'd be a wise person to read Ecclesiastes. So, Dale, where can I find meaning? People obviously pursue meaning uh, in so many different directions. And I want to come back to a phrase I've already used. Let me just posit this idea that there actually is a God. He actually does know you. It was Jesus who said, there's not a sparrow that lands on the ground, but my father knows about it. He said, you're far more important than a sparrow. He said, the very hairs on your head are numbered. So uh, the Bible uses other language like, the number of days that are ordained for our lives are written in his book. It says he knows what we're going to say before we say it. And so this sense of, okay, I'm known, I'm loved, my life matters. That that God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God would say, I will self-sacrifice so that you can be forgiven and washed clean. So that's the demonstration of love. If, if I can quote a verse from the Bible, it says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, or another verse, very well-known one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So this idea, there's a God there. He, loves, he knows me. He loves me. He's prepared to self-sacrifice for me. So I have the opportunity to be made clean, given a fresh start, now he's going to fill my life with purpose. That is noble. And especially when that purpose is actually to do with the service of others. Mm. That You want to be great in God's kingdom? Become a servant of all, Jesus said. Mm. And so the fact now that I can look at people and see everyone with dignity, male or female, old or young, white, black, or whatever other colour in between uh, that we might be with our racial diversity, those who hate me and have drawn the most profound disagreements with me about life, I can love them and treat, treat them with dignity because from my own perspective, as best I understand the scriptures, they are made in the image of God, whether they want to accept that or not. Mm. So the most passionate atheist who does not believe that God exists, I believe they're still made in the image of God. Mm. And so it just and positions my life well mm. to engage with people in a loving and generous way. And that's where you gain meaning. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me leave you with some of the Bible's comments on the big question, where do I find meaning? Ecclesiastes 1, 13 and 14 says, What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Dale Stevenson. Thanks for listening to Bigger Questions. To help you continue exploring the bigger questions, we've developed a reading guide to accompany this episode called Chasing Life. The guide has further questions, stories and reflections, 
to help you understand the book of Ecclesiastes. To get your own copy or to find out more, check out the Bigger Questions website or contact your local City Bible Forum office. If you've enjoyed the show, why not support it on Patreon? You can help us keep asking bigger questions for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us next time.